0: Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Brown here and you're tuned to episode 43 of #YouGoodMan. Listen, hit that subscribe button, share with a brother or a sister who could benefit from this information. And don't forget to give me some stars that show that you like the content that I'm giving because it matters and it influences how many people this actually reaches. So again, subscribe, share, and rate a brother. So in this episode, we're going to be having a a discussion on the idea of repressed memories, right? So when we talk about repressed memories, we're talking about the unconscious blocking of memories that usually is associated with high levels of stress or trauma. So it could be over a period of time. We're talking about aspects of an event or life history. And this was brought to light, one, because I'm writing my memoir for those who don't know, and I'm writing a memoir about my life. And also, when I go out to speak, I usually have this conversation about an experience that I had when I was probably about in eighth grade. My mother had a nervous breakdown while I was en route to school, and I didn't remember that memory for the longest time. And I'm not sure what triggered it or what brought it back to my to my conscious mind. But I remembered it and it was just like, wow, I, ex- I actually experienced this. And then as days and weeks went on, I started to remember more and more details about the, the situation. And so when I go out and speak about mental health, which I've been doing for the last three years, I usually tell that story about how I, I usually say, you know, when I was in eighth grade and route to school. My mother had a nervous breakdown and I was still expected to go in and achieve and perform, yada, yada, yada. And so I called my mother and I was like, yeah, mom, you know, I tell this story about when you had a nervous breakdown. And she was like, that never happened. And I was like, wait, am I misremembering? Because that is something about repressed memories where we might actually misremember. And so that's why there's some bait within the psychology community as to how valid repressed memories are. And so I'm just like, listen, I know I wasn't drinking <laughs> at the age of 13, which some people do, or smoking to where my memory was that bad. I, I wouldn't pick up a drinking habit until college. But I, I swore I remembered this happening. Lo and behold, she would contact me probably a, a few weeks later and bring this up in conversation and say, I didn't know you remembered that. And it's the idea when we talk about trauma, how often what's impactful for me. To somebody else they might might not think much of it right especially when we're experiencing secondhand trauma and, and so um so with that being said it was the idea of repressed memories coming up also a friend of mine he's he went back to africa to take his family to spend time with his with his family over in africa and so he asked me he said Phil, do you have memories of life before the age of 10. And I was like, yeah, I mean, there, my memory is kind of shoddy because we do talk about the drinking that took place in college and and what have you. But I said, yeah, you know, I do have some memories. And he went on to tell me how he doesn't have memories prior to the age of 10, right? And so he wanted to have a conversation with his father about experiences that that, that he vaguely remembers prior to that time. And so he asked me my professional opinion. And so I'll get into what I told him a little bit later, but this all brings it back to just this idea of, of repressed memories and how impactful it can be to our mental health, right? And so when we talk about trauma, we talk about those who, who repress memories, we're talking about the most common and victims of violence, individuals who experience violence at an earlier age, I'm getting better with saying victims because we're not victims; we're survivors when we experience certain things. So we're talking about survivors of sexual abuse, survivors of physical abuse, or any other painful situation. Anytime we make it out of a situation, we're surviving. With with the ultimate goal being to thrive. And so again, that's when we see a lot of the repressed memories, uh, a, a, a lot of memory repression taking place. It's usually in childhood due to an adverse experience. And so what happens is it's a detachment from reality which take place, right? So think about it on your day-to-day. Think about how you might catch yourself daydreaming, right? You catch yourself daydreaming, a period of time is just gone and you have no idea what happened during that period of time. And you're trying to find it and figure out what happened. I know for some people, including myself, it happens when I drive. I might be on my phone, right, which I shouldn't be doing, and I'll be like, "dang, I don't went about a mile, and I have no recollection of what happened, right? So this is re, um, you know repressing memories and detachment and de- dissociation taking place in a much milder form than it is when we're talking about sexual abuse and physical abuse or what have you and so And so to understand memory repression. We have to understand why it takes place. And so it's the idea that it's for psychological and physiological safety. In order to survive day-to-day mentally, where we aren't experiencing severe bouts of depression and anxiety, which then influences physiological triggers like appetite, not eating, and migraines, our brain says, hold up, you know what, that shit was rough. That experience was rough, you know what. In order for you to cope, in order for you to cope, all right, I'm going to just push that all the way to the back. Because it's not necessarily gone, but we push it so far back in, in our mind unconsciously that you know it's like it's not longer there and potentially like it no longer happens. Now, again, when I talk about the debate that's happening within the, the psychology profession, it's this idea of how how truthful are these memories when they do come back up, right? Because then when we, if it does indeed come back up, we might be starting to add pieces to it to help fill this narrative that we, that we might have already created or that we need to create for, for one reason or another. So we talk about survivors of some type of sexual abuse, right? It's not to say that they're not credible, but when events do take place so long ago and we really start to recount it, we might start adding things in to to fit the narrator to to fit the narrative of who we think the perpetrator is to be or what the situation was regarding that situation and we find that at times that it can be indeed unreliable unintentionally right but again we're talking about memory think about how difficult it is sometimes for us to remember the positive things and the healthy things that that we've experienced and so Memories, and uh, negative memories that we experience, we try to do our damnedest to forget about it. And so trying to recall that in in high tense situations can be difficult. And so when we talk about what can bring about repressed memories, we're talking about triggers. Right. We're talking about smells, people, sounds, locations. When we talk about locations, I was filming a, a video uh, just about my story. And it's on YouTube on my channel, Qualify LLC. And I went back to my elementary school where this one traumatic situation took place with my mother. And as soon as I stepped on the property, all of the feelings came back. Those emotions came back about my time there. Right when we're talking about me being the the smelly kid for a short period of time, me not being one of the popular kids, me being overweight, and then the experience that happened with my mother, all the the physiological response came back. Now, cognitively uh, and mentally, I had already worked through these issues. I worked through them already, but there's still that physiological effect of being in that setting It brought back all of those emotions, and it caused me to cry right there on the spot because it felt so real, right? It felt so real. And so some of the stuff wasn't necessarily repressed memories, but if I were to go back to the school and experience those things, and it did trigger that experience that happened with my mother, we could then call that uh, a repressed memory. We're talking about smells. Uh, You know, it's a story that Charlemagne tells if you're not familiar with Charlemagne from the Breakfast Club, he talks about how he was sexually abused by his babysitter. She was older. And what what caused it to stop was the smell of her jerry curl. Right? The smell of her jerry curl caused him to stop. Now I'm sure if he's in a setting. Now, granted, people don't wear Jerry curls anymore, but you still have activators or what have you. And he tends to laugh and make light of it when it's very it, it is indeed a serious situation where a lot of you know young boys and men have been sexually abused by babysitters, both men and women, and it's viewed as an expectation, uh, a badge of honor to to have sex with somebody older. Even though it's in a a, chi- a form of child abuse like like his was, but if he did smell that activator right, that the Jerry Crow juices that he makes light of, it could very well indeed put him back in that space, and that's what we see a lot of with sexual abuse victims, sexual abuse survivors. Forgive me, and we see that that certain smells might trigger them—the smell of the cologne, or the smell of the perfume, or the smell of the location if it happens somewhere um, outside of the home or potentially inside of the home. Locations like the basement, people can be triggered by by going to a specific room, right? The attic, the basement, or various places. Then we're talking about people. There's a lot of times when survivors of some type of abuse see their perpetrator. They may see them and it may all come back to them. But the fact that it's been out of sight, out of mind, and I repressed these memories just by seeing the individual may trigger specific events that happened, right? Or you can know that Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so did something to me, right? But I can't recall the specifics. And then by seeing them, the specifics just hit you like a ton of bricks, right? So a lot of these things fall under the umbrella of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, post-traumatic PTSD. I can't get it out. It falls under PTSD, because this is what we see for those, again, who've experienced any type of traumatizing situation. We, the effects will bring about the the mental and physiological response. Right. So the next question is, should we attempt to recover memories? It depends. When we talk about when we talk about the situation I brought up earlier with the friend of mine who was going back to Africa to see his father, his concern was that by having the conversation with him might strain the relationship that they've worked so hard to build. And so this is what he has to do. He has to sit and measure and, and, and take inventory as to the cost and benefits of him bringing up the situation. For some people, if you're already in a good place, a solid mental health, a foundation of mental health where you're you're thriving and you're feeling good about it. Yes, you may have questions, but it may jeopardize your mental health. Then I would recommend no. Right. But if you're continuously thinking about it and it's continuously on your mind and it's a part of your process and wanting to understand what took place and what happened, then you might have to, to bring about those memories. Uh, So, again, it's about understanding what you what you tend to gain from it or and or how it could potentially negatively impact you. And so for him, I can't tell him yes or no. Right. That's something that he has to feel his way through. He has to listen to himself. We have to listen to our bodies. We have to listen to our mind and our spirit. If he gets under there and it's eating at him. Right. Then he needs to bring it up. Now, the response is going to be the response from his father. But maybe he just needs to get it out in order so he doesn't perseverate on it for, for longer periods of time. Or it may have have some answers for him and it may start to allow him to heal. And again, in instances of, of abuse and other behaviors where psychological effects are a result, when we talk about depression, and anxiety, that stress that can negatively impact us? Again, not sure. Not sure. If you already are experiencing the effects like depression and anxiety, then it may be in your best interest to start to unpack what it is that you've experienced. So you no longer have to dwell in this emotional, emotionally unhealthy space. This is when you... you uh elicit the services of a therapist which i'll get into a little bit later so real quick i'm just going to go over some signs that you could indeed be repressing childhood memories if you start the sentence with i'm scared of right this could have manifested in your childhood and so it could be a phobia it could be Again, specific locations or what have you. But if you start the sentence of "I'm scared of," you might need to unpack why that is. Now, for me, um, I don't like dogs, right? I'm not a fan of big dogs in particular. Why? Because I was chased by a dog at an early age. I had to jump a fence and I cut my finger, which I still have the scar to. If you can see it, can't see it. All right, (laughs) and that's for those who watching on YouTube. But that I, I almost have I have a phobia of dogs, but I have a strong dislike for dogs. And so that's a result of a childhood experience that I had. Now granted, I can recall that, right? I can recall that vividly. And but what I can't recall are the emotions that I felt in that moment in time, which I've learned to suppress. That was until I was running and I, I ran next to a gate and it was a pit bull right there. And that all those feelings came back. So, again, it's not just about the mental aspect of it, but it's about the physiological response to the repressed memories. And so what it brought about is it brought up so much uh, outside of the fact I was tailing, you know, but it brought up those memories. So, again, I'm scared of that may be a sign that you're repressing some type of memory and it may be worth exploring. The idea of not wanting to be alone. We're talking about attachment issues. You might have been left alone for a period of time in your youth or you could have been bullied where you've had you've isolated yourself. You may be able to recall uh, that you were bullied, but not about those, again, those feelings. And you'll see me and hear me harp on the, the emotional and physiological response because the body doesn't lie. Our mind can convince ourselves of a lot of things, but sometimes our mind and our body aren't congruent. They're not on the same page and the mind can be like, yo, I'm good. I'm good. Think about it. When you might see an ex that you might've loved forever. I know I got several of them, right? It's not until you're in that moment, until you're in that experience and and that physiological response either comes or it doesn't, that lets you know how over it. Uh, over uh, over the situation you are. And so, again, we're talking about these attachment issues where you might have been left alone or a bully. You might not remember, right? But again, that can be a repressed memory because you did experience that at such a young age. And so it's better to push it out of your mind again so you can survive and hopefully thrive. And, and as I talked earlier about specific symptoms and triggers, I hate that smell. The smell is is so powerful. Smell is one of our most powerful senses that we have, right? And so, again, abuse survivors, they may be triggered and it may remind them of a situation. It may be often in more detail, more information into that situation. And so, again, if you find yourself being triggered from these or you might be scared of something, you have this this. This fear of being alone—it may be something worth exploring in therapy, which I identify as being a solution. Listen, when we talk about repressed memories, it's important that we go to a therapist who's well versed in trauma. If you listen to my "How to uh, How to Find a Therapist" podcast, which is a few episodes ago, go check it out. There's so many different specialties and concentrations and expertises that therapists have. Everybody isn't an expertise in in. Working through repressed memories, because when those memories come up, you better need to know how to deal with them, especially in the instance when we're talking about sexual and physical abuse, because this can be the the determinant factor as to whether a breakdown occurs or if the individual is able to work through it. And so every therapist isn't equipped for that. So you need to really do your, due, you do your due diligence if you are looking for a therapist. And ask the question, if you do think you're experiencing repressed memories, like how do you work well? How do you work with that? What's your methodology? How will you help me work through these situations when they do come up in therapy? Will you, will you tell me, will you encourage me to calm? Will you, um, do you have some type of stress ball? Do you have, you know, what what are your techniques to help me decompress and deescalate is a question that that we have to ask, especially if we're looking for a trauma-informed therapist. This is a delicate situation that needs to be treated as such. We can't just, when a repressed memory comes up, uh, it's coming up for a reason. We have to truly understand why. So I advocate if you can't go to a therapist, write it down. Write down what you're experiencing in that moment. Get it out. Get it out. Don't try to repress it. Get it out in a healthy way. Right? So listen, I appreciate you all for tuning into this episode. So what I have coming up. How to succeed as a co-parenting father. I have that coming up on August 27th. If It, it is 1999. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm just going to be discussing what, what it looks like to be a parent. In 2019 and beyond and how we can succeed, how are we going to, uh, uh, how can we advocate better for ourselves, for our child, or how can we work on our mental health during this period, how can we communicate with our co-parent? And when we say co-parent, it's not necessarily being uh, two parents being a part A co-parent is, can take place in a marriage where we have two people working together for a common goal. You can check that information out at quantifyllc.net slash webinar. As always, I have wellness coaching services that i offer, mental and emotional wellness coaching. You can check that out at QuantifyLLC.net. I also have my book club that I started with dedicated to men's wellness. That is at slash book club that will be meeting on September 11th, 2019. It's all virtual, so you can do it from your phone. The first book that we'll be reading is Heavy by Casey Layman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, even though I'm not on Twitter, at phil underscore quantify. And again, check out the website, www.quadifyllc.net. I appreciate you all. Peace.